Brown, Brent, Tim, and Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, and my guest on this edition of the program, making his fortnightly appearance. It's his fortnightly appearance in the program, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest, and on this edition of the program, as he does during every one of his appearances, Longenhagen endeavors here to analyze all prospects of particular note. Last week, Chris Mitchell, the progenitor of the Cato Prospect Projection System, released a new and improved edition of Cato's Top 100 Prospects. What I do is to pour over that list and listen with rapt attention as Longenhagen provides scouting reports on players who are quitted particularly well on Mitchell's list, but not necessarily on industry list. This involves names, for example, like Phillies outfielder Dylan Cousins, Twins outfield prospect Zach Granite, and New York Yankees catching prospect Kyle Gashioka, playing for the Yankees AAA club. We also discussed Long and Hagen's trip to Chicago recently and Wrigley Field specifically, which was the site of a showcase sponsored by Under Armour, featuring the top prep prospects in the country. Long and Hagen provides the names of two players likely to appear in the first round of the 2017 draft. That's not all, of course. Listeners of this edition of the program are also provided some brief window of insight into the upbringing of Fangraph's lead prospect analyst. Uh, just in general... I typically like to travel, especially if I'm on a plane, in nice clothing. It is a thing I was taught to do. More of those amusing interludes to follow. What's not following right now is a message from the sponsor. If there were a message from the sponsor, it would be SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com. But there is not a message from the sponsor. Instead, we move directly to discussion with Eric Longenhagen. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? That same lead prospect analyst, Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Today is that is that for my pleasure or yours or both? Just a just a just a sort of cosmic. Mm-hmm. Little, the cosmos. That, do you recognize that pseudonym? I do. Yeah, what you, you've included here is Ron Mexico, which I believe was the pseudonymous name of Michael Vick. No, that's correct. For what purpose? I forget. Was he checked in at some sort of hotel in Mexico in? Uh, Texas. No, why was it? Does it have something to do with uh, herpes? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, definitely herpes. Nailed it. It's a, uh, I'm looking right now. Yeah. Top ten celebrity pseudonyms. I'm not interested in that. Michael Vick hit with sex suit. Woman mm-hmm. claims star NFL quarterback passed along herpes in 2003. Yeah. Now, a sex suit, is that is that what he would wear to a wedding or something like <laughs> this? Or is it something? <laughs> what would that even look like? I don't know. Just has a bunch of unique uh, seam work, I suppose. As a youth, uh, I would frequently attempt to um, get into my dad's computer and play Leisure Suit Larry, which I believe <laughs> – Came with his computer. <laughs> you ever play Leisure Suit Larry? No, I have not. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the end of that story, really. It's a mm-hmm. it's a pleasure to talk to you again. I think that you accidentally found yourself a guest um, on what, Tuesday's recording of the program with Dave Cameron. 
Yeah, somebody asked me about that the other day. They were like, "Why? What happened that you were on that for like thirty seconds?" Yeah, I was like, oh, I, "I don't know. I just sort of popped in. I was asked to uh, erroneously." Yeah, and, and you you arrived, and uh, we got to a brief discussion about Kyle Schwarber mm-hmm. and your enthusiasm for your you can um you uh well this puts me into a, a difficult position here where I have to by means of my Anglo's mouth pronounce the name of the player who was sent to the Yankees in the Araldus Chapman trade mm. um maybe Gliber Gleber. What do you say? I've I've pronounced it Glaber, and no one has corrected me yet. Okay, all right, right. Well, anyway, Glaber, uh, Torres. Uh, right. The basic uh, the basic question was: Would you rather have Glaber Torres plus uh, the other players, or Kyle Schwarber? And uh, you uh, you you suggested that you care for Schwarber more. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. As a t- there's a bat. There's more bat. There's a lot of bat to ball. You like the bat to ball relative to the power, I suppose. Right. Yeah. I think uh, I, I know there are people who are a little, I guess, concerned about how much Schwarber had been striking out, uh, and I and I certainly don't think sitting around. Not that he's just sitting around, but not playing baseball for a year probably isn't great for his overall development as a hitter, and probably not. Uh, ideal for someone with that body type to sort of be more sedentary, you know, especially when he's already has issues profiling mm-hmm. defensively somewhere, anywhere. But yeah, like, you know, he's one of the, the more special college hitters I've ever scouted. And, uh, abs- just think he's an absolute stud offensively. And like, look, I like Glaber Torres a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, just, uh, Billy McKinney and and stuff. He just doesn't really. They don't, uh, Rashad Crawford. They're interesting buys for the Yankees as well. But you know, I just still think Schwarber is just a middle of the order hitter, and Torres mm-hmm. might be you know like a, a down lineup second or third baseman who who hits you know fifteen to eighteen homers a year, and and that's great. But it's not. So I think Schwarber might hit like you know thirty five bombs. <laughs> Well, certainly, uh, um, he was on some pace, not on, uh, not unlike that with the Cubs last year and roughly a half a season to play. So, um, why wouldn't that, be shocking. Why did that come up? Was that, uh, I guess, uh, something that was being discussed as a, an alternative to the deal that was ultimately consummated or what? Why was Cameron interested in that? He, you know, are you going to ask questions about Cameron's motivation? With anything, with regard to anything, <laughs> I'm just curious. Is that I wouldn't go down that dark road. You start thinking like a criminal, you become a criminal. <laughs> Long and Hagen. Hey, let me ask you. Uh, this is something that uh, we, we've done before. Let me ask you what what you've been doing the last couple of weeks. I think the last time we spoke, you had, for example, you had uh, you were in the middle of your East Coast trip. Mm-hmm. Which also brought you back, and you had um you had already I think you had been to the futures game. Had you been to the futures game? I think you'd been to the futures game. Yeah, so yeah. I had already been back then from from the northeast. Yeah, yeah. You know, AZL stuff. I was in Chicago over the weekend for the the Under Armour game. Oh, that's the, right. Yeah, that's right. You were in American game they have there. Uh, so that was like a big thing, and then it's just been uh, a lot of 
sourcing and reacting to call-ups and trades and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, just getting some 2017 draft stuff organized and preparing for the coming storm that is the, the 30 organizational lists this offseason. Do you have a uh, – do you ever have any sort of anxiety with regard to the composition of those lists? You ever get any uh, like a panic attack, maybe? Uh, there or you uh, you relish the opportunity. There are no. I mean, I'd love to sit here and just be like, "Yeah, I'm I'm ready to attack." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a grasp on everything I know I need to do, but the volume of work is daunting, and I will have moments where I, you know, I'm sitting just in thought, where I start to you know, feel my heart rate pick up and I'm like, Oh my God, I have to do all that stuff. <laughs> so, um, but it's okay. Like I have, I know what I need to do. I know how I'm going to do it. It's just a matter of doing all of it. Yeah. There's just a, yeah, right. You just realize there are a bunch of words. There are a bunch of words in between you and completion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every time you hear about a, a prospect that you're not necessarily, familiar with in a in a deep sort of way mm-hmm. it just reminds you that there's there are probably dozens of guys out there like that whose names i don't know yet who all have to have mm-hmm. uh, this is a little hyperbolic but like encyclopedic knowledge of in right. the next like five or six months do you uh all right when you with those sorts of names do you find well i want to maybe i'll ask you an example in a second but do you find that they are typically it's more the sort of player who somehow uh, has um, come out of nowhere at the AAA level, or is it a guy who's just making his you know stateside appearance in rookie ball? It's more of the latter. Yeah, guys at the upper levels who start to perform. At least you probably have some sort of history with, as far as gathering information, even if the opinions you gathered aren't haven't necessarily been good historically, but you at least know those guys' names and have probably come across them on your own at some point. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of the kids down like in the GCL, uh, or in the Appy League that, uh, that are sort of popping up that, you know, you know, I haven't seen in person because they've only been around in the United States for, you know, eight, nine months. <laughs> Uh, that you hear them and you're like, oh, there's there's probably like ten other guys just like that who I don't know about, but you know, we'll have. Is there, to. Uh, you have a, is there a name? Uh, uh, would you come across recently, or is it? Or well, is it a whole? Like when Hansel Rodriguez got traded, he was a guy who I I needed to. That's the guy the uh, the Padres got back from Melvin Upton. Right. That was a name who I had to go do some digging on that was maybe a little bit more than I do with your typical uh, traded prospect, certainly for this year's deadline so far. And um, you found what, uh, I mean, this must be, this must be a sort he's a, he's a live armed 18 year old. Yeah. 19 now. 19. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, you know, uh, more arm speed and body than it is even really present stuff. It's like 90, 92, be up to 94 uh, or 95 with some movement, some some sink to it, uh, but just a really quick arm and some slider feel. It's probably like a 40 slider right now, but there's some feel for it there and some feel for locating it to his glove side, which 
you know, I think can help pit, you know, just locating your slider effectively. I think helps it play up. So he's got some some ability to do that already, even if it only projects as like an average or above average pitch. And then, you know, it's just a quick arm, and he's an athletic kid with a good body. You hope there's more velocity there. You hope there's change-up projection there. Uh, and, you know, for a piece that I don't know what uh, what else San Diego could have gotten for for Upton, it's a nice little return. I I get it. But Would I, you describe him as a, as a bit of a lottery ticket? Sure, yeah. Yeah. It's probably true of a lot of 18-year-old pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You mentioned, let's see. Oh, uh, he commands the fastball to both sides of the plate. That's not something I'm saying about Hansel Rodriguez mm-hmm. in, in, um, per se. However, it could be true of him. This That does not necessarily seem to me, um, just on the face of it, to be a great skill. And yet I see that cited as a virtue for, for pitchers pretty frequently. What What do talent evaluators mean uh, when they say a pitcher can locate the ball to both sides of the plate? Uh, I mean, is it is it pretty common for a pitcher only to be able to locate it to one side of the plate? I think there are certain pitchers for one reason or another, be it delivery and, like, arm slot and stuff that makes it hard. Like, Tim Lincecum, just seeing him work out at his showcase here a few months ago, had trouble locating to both sides simply because – his arm slot is so extremely vertical that it's just not easy to sort of move the, the baseball east and west. Uh, you know, those little incremental changes that you have to make in your delivery to command of the baseball to either side of the plate just are harder to, to do from such an extreme arm slot. So sometimes it's just as simple as your delivery makes it hard for you to have east and west control or command. You know, that's uh, what you're saying right now is, is interesting. And this is the sort of question that I believe, you know, Saris enjoys answering, or at least he answers begrudgingly. I don't know how much he enjoys it. He does it to some frequency where he will, he, he would check something out like, like this. So for example, to what degree does the, uh, does the verticality of release point alter or seem to alter a pitcher's ability to locate the ball? I think, I think that, uh, maybe by virtue or, you know, with the help of, Pitch effects might be possible to evaluate mm-hmm. something like that. So, and there are other things about the just deliveries in general that impact your command. You know, if you're flying wide open, your front foot flies, you know, like uh, Ubaldo Jimenez does, where you're not driving directly toward home plate, or you're cutting off uh, short of home, or you know, like I said, you're you're opening way up. That might make it easier for you to get. Uh, your fastball to one side of the plate or the other. And then some of it is just athleticism and just feel for your release. And uh, that stuff's really hard to scout because you have to really sit and watch a guy for probably multiple starts before you can start identifying that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, there's just a whole lot that goes into like anything else with pitching. There's every little thing can have uh impact in other areas that's magnified because of some other aspect of your body or your athleticism. Uh, we're, we're, we're discussing this in part because of Hansel Rodriguez, who of course was the player traded from the Toronto Blue Jays to the San Diego Padres in exchange for Melvin Upton Jr. 
Uh, well, I have a question because uh, Jose Rodriguez uh, was playing in the Appalachian League, and you say sometimes players who who are appearing there, it's uh, you know they're frequently have not been around the league. Uh, you know this, they have not been playing on uh, stateside for, mm-hmm. for very long, which is why it's easy to miss them. I have the impression, merely by virtue of the words Appalachian League, I have the sense of a number of stadiums nestled in to sort of mountain villages. Mm-hmm. Is that is that true of any of the stadiums in the Appalachian League? I know I've seen – I've never scouted an affiliate there, but I've seen pictures and there are some uh, beautiful mountainous landscapes, uh, you know, that you can view from your, your seat. Okay. I don't know if there's moonshine available at the concession stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it does look like it's B. It's actually B Y O M in that particular case. Yeah, which is kind of that's that's sort of the deal with the moonshine, isn't it? Denture giveaway night. Uh, yeah, I don't know what what all goes on there. <laughs> bring your bring your bring your 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 sibling slash spouse. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. These were, we were dealing here in uh, horrible uh, stereotypes. These yeah. are not. It's not about real people. Well, we're you and I are both awful people. So, but I think borne out. The devil is in those details, isn't it, Eric Loganagan? Uh You mentioned that you had that you were at the under uh, some sort of Under Armour game. Yeah, Under Armour and the the baseball factory. Organization that sort of you know is uh, Under Armour's version of Perfect Game, you know the showcase type stuff. Had their big All American game at Wrigley Field on Saturday, and so I was there for that. Uh, it was incredibly humid. I was in a suit. Why? Yeah, why were you in a suit? <laughs> uh, well, you know, just in general, I typically like to travel, especially if I'm on a plane. In nice clothing is a thing I was taught to do. And just because of, uh, I got into Chicago on Saturday and went right from the airport to the ballpark and had no time to change. And in retrospect, it was a mistake because of how ungodly hot it was in the state. Like, you know, it was 96 at 4 a.m. here in Arizona when I got up to leave for the airport, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like 80% humidity. So I had a suit on and was sweating profusely, uh, but I looked incredible, so it was okay. <laughs> and what sort of uh, what sort of players are participating in the in this? Some of the underarm. more notable prep uh, prospects for next year's draft. And last year we had an issue where this Under Armour game and uh, the Perfect Game All American game in San Diego were on back to back days. And there just weren't enough pitchers to sort of go around because they obviously weren't going to throw on back-to-back days. Uh, so now that they've, they were spread out more this summer, uh, this was a better look at a higher concentration of talent than it, than it was last year. And where, where are we currently uh, in the, the showcase circuit for prep talent? Uh, no, that calendar, that calendar. We're still a little bit early. We've had some stuff uh, on the East Coast – uh, and now things are sort of making their way west. We'll have area code games coming up here soon, the next like couple weeks. And then uh, the PG game in San Diego. And then once that's complete, we're through the the bulk of it, especially with area codes. 
Uh, and then there's, you know, there's still some things in Florida and uh, over the off season here in Arizona, like next January, that typically occur where you can go see some more of the guys. But, you know, after the, the Under Armour game and area codes, you've got a, a pretty good list of names as far as the top high school kids go, aside from the few that always pop up. Right. So uh, having it, so having attended the Under Armour showcase event, do you have a name or two names? Which uh, you know, I as a an idiot will have no context for them, but they could be uh, they could be a name to revisit later on. Yeah, uh, Hunter Green, who's someone who I've seen a few times now, big right-handed pitcher from. Notre Dame High School in California, which is like Giancarlo Stanton and Brandon Ryan's alma mater, and Pat Gillick, uh, I believe, went there as well. Uh, this He played shortstop and pitched last year as a junior. I saw him against Blake Rutherford when I went to go see Rutherford this spring. And he was, you know, 95-98 on Saturday, throws strikes, really athletic kid. Also participated in the pregame home run derby and parked a bunch of balls. Uh, Does he command the ball to both sides of the plate? Uh, no, not right now, but he probably will. It's just one of those very athletic, uh, aggressive strike throwing types who isn't afraid to challenge you with his fastball. And he's already lives in the strike zone. So I think eventually, yeah, it's a kid who might have like plus control projection because of how uh, regularly he's filling the zone right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the slider, it's like a four slider right now, but he has some feel for spinning it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think I'm a little, I don't love the secondary so much right now that I'm going to like slam dunk this kid in my top, top five of my board or anything like that, but like I, I get it. Um, I don't think he's got the range to stay at shortstop, but uh, there's definitely power there as well. So, you know, this is probably a guy we're going to have a conversation about as an industry about where he fits best. Is it on the mound or is it uh, as an everyday player? I'm inclined to believe that uh, it's the former. It's just really rare arm strength and athleticism for a pitcher. Uh, So he's definitely a guy. And then the other one is Jordan Adele. There's an outfielder from Kentucky who just has that, that perfect sort of baseball body, plus plus bat speed. And then later in, late in the game, after we had, so we saw, you know, the power and the bat speed, uh, early during the home run derby and, and stuff. And, uh, then late in the game, he went down in the zone and sort of like moved the barrel down, uh, and in to get to a ball that he, you know, just roped for a single to left field. So there's some back control there as well. And uh, I was talking with Hudson Belinsky from Baseball America after the game, and he was telling me that he had, he'd had some conversations with Adele during the course of the summer that are that just speak of the kid's uh, feel and knowledge for his own mechanics. And, you know, he's he's making a conscious effort to improve some of the things that early in the summer weren't necessarily good. Uh, and he's shown progress there as well. So there's, yeah, there's those two were the were the ones that really stuck out above the rest of the crop. Although you know there are another ten, fifteen players 
who uh, I I liked quite a bit at the game. Now, are we still dealing with some of – I know that I would uh, talk about this with Kyla McDaniel sometimes. Do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Kyla McDaniel a little bit. And uh, uh, the p- potentially exploitative elements of these sorts of showcases? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the big marquee events like this one. The kids who show up to these are, you know, the the proverbial cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. And they are treated well and get, you know, all sorts of swag. A bunch of the kids from the game were on my flight home to Phoenix the next day uh, and were connecting there and going to California. And they were all wearing, you know, brand new Under Armour shoes and all, you know, so they they are treated well at these type of events. It's it's the the tryouts for these events and the um I I've gone to them before where it's a pay to play sort of thing. Kids who have no chance of playing college baseball as at all, let alone competitively at some sort of D one school will pay a pretty penny to come and work out in front of scouts with other kids who are, you know, actually good and take BP and take grounders and, and stuff and have their swings videotaped and Under Armour will, will make websites for them, you know, sort of marketing type sites to help them be recruited, but they, they don't really have a, a chance to do that. So when I was living in Pennsylvania, I attended one of these in Philadelphia uh, and there were three black kids there. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's a workout in Philadelphia. Josh Akame, who's now in the sock system was there. And I, he's the only one of note that I can remember. Like there was, is it was clear that the demographic uh, was skewed toward kids who could afford to pay to show up and be there. Right. It, well, and and I would this, that, uh, uh, there is, in this country, a uh, correlation between uh, socioeconomics and in uh, race that exists, uh-huh. which is why you're pointing out there were three black kids there. Right. So, like, but yeah. if you're having a workout in Philadelphia, I just expected there to be more inner city kids there. But it were it was kids from Virginia and from the Northeast, from New England, who sort of came down. Uh, and a lot of the the kids that I hadn't heard of that were there were just literally kids who showed up because they wanted to have their swings taped and put on a website, even though they, you know, couldn't hold a candle to some of the other kids' talent. Uh, so I think that there is some of that going on. And look, if those kids, it's up to those kids and their parents to do that if they feel it's appropriate. Uh, so there is some of that going on that uh, that isn't great. And then, you know, obviously, if you've read uh, Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, it goes into some of the, the stuff that Perfect Game does that's maybe not uh, so kosher that, uh, you know, kids throw and they throw and they throw and they, they want to be up on these PG rankings because the industry looks at those and is interested in those, but participating in PG events frequently helps you climb those rankings. But especially if you're a pitcher might not necessarily be good for you in general to throw and throw and throw at these showcase events. Uh, so, you know, there's, um, it's not a perfect system. It, it has issues like anything else. And, uh, ultimately the fact that these organizations get all these kids in one place for events like the one I just attended 
is enough that the industry will look the other way when it comes to a lot of the uh, a the lot other, of the uh, Yeah, yeah. Any truth uh, regarding Passon? Any truth that he's working on a sequel to that book? I don't know. Uh, I don't know uh, him at all. I think he's very good, but I don't know him at all. Called the leg. <laughs> the leg was the end of the joke, Longenhagen. Thanks. Oh, sorry, I I didn't realize you were. About to say one of the funniest things you've heard this yeah, week. The like. What was that even were, about, do you think? Like kickers, maybe? Could be, yeah. Yeah, you'd be, you, you, there, you, there, there are a lot of parts of the body, too. You could have a real serious going on. Mm-hmm. Something to look forward to, right? Oh, homunculus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this past week, let, hey, First of all, let me ask you a quick question here. Do you have uh, is it, do you have headphones, maybe? No, do you want me to put them in? Is there something going on with my audio? I just hear my voice in the background, and I don't... No one hardly needs to hear it once, as opposed okay, to twice, as I'm going to say too many times. Let me find headphones. All right, we'll play the Fangraphs hold music mm-hmm. at this point. Okay, good. I have, I have headphones now. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound great. You sound great. Okay. <clears throat> last week, maybe? Earlier this week, perhaps? I'm going to say last week. No, let's say earlier this week. Chris Mitchell, mm-hmm. uh, who writes quite a bit about prospects also for Fangraphs.com, uh, submitted to the electronic pages of that site uh, a new and improved version of his Cato projection system. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, it's always uh, sort of fascinating for me when this sort of thing comes out because, you know, what it lacks, of course, in terms of um, the qualitative information that is so very important to uh, prospect analysis, uh, it maybe compensates for uh, with objective analysis regarding, you know, those sorts of things about which um, objective analysis can exist, including things like, well, of course, things like strikeout and walk rate and home run rate uh, for both pitchers and hitters, position, quality of the position, size uh, is taken into account. Most recently, ground ball rate has factored into this most recent edition. And more than anything, what it does is to is to produce a list, and lists uh, have their own provide their own sort of satisfaction, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, it, an organizing principle, uh, something about which one can become indignant, uh, uh, ideally in a way that is, uh, you know, indignant in a measured, pleasant way. You say, oh, this guy is 20th. He should have been 19th, in my opinion, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, but I, I did want to ask, um, you, your, uh, your thoughts on some of the players who appeared on that list. And in particular, what I'm, what I mean is players who appeared on that list and yet, uh, have not been so close to the top of uh, of industry lists. That's what I mean to say. Okay. Um, and actually, the the first player I ask you about, and to be honest, I'm, I I think he does appear on industry lists, but he does not appear this high. Is a, an outfielder, a mm-hmm. giant outfielder, I think, for oh, yeah. uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, appears second uh, on Longenhagen's um, new and improved Cato list. And that's Dylan Cousins, uh, what a twenty two year old 
outfielder, as I say, in the Philly system. Pierce right. second overall, right behind Alex Bregman and ahead of uh, such luminaries, prospect luminaries as, for example, J.B. Crawford, Trey Turner, Andrew Benintendi, David Dahl, etc. Yeah. Uh, and surprising, probably because it does seem as though Mitchell's system tends to discount players who've struck out a lot, and yet Cousins is striking on nearly 30% of the time uh, at Double uh, A, the Eastern in the Eastern League this year. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw I've seen Cousins all, a bunch, and I saw him a few weeks ago, and uh, twice actually, once in Reading, and then again at the Futures game, and like it's crazy plus plus raw power, and it's to all fields. He's not just one of these goofs who you know clears their hips early and is just ripping stuff down uh, the line to their pull side. Like it goes out everywhere mm-hmm. um but yeah like the strikeout rate is really high i actually asked sean uh, dolinar to run the numbers on guys who had big time strikeout rates at double a and uh and sort of sean or did you ask chris no sean like because oh, i wanted a table sean. yeah i wanted like a table of stuff um, oh, all right. So, like I had said in my chat, and incorrectly, I might add, that I was looking at double-A hitters recently who had strikeout rates up in the stratosphere to which Cousins does, to see if anybody had struck out as much as he had and was any sort of prospector who, who had done anything at the big league level. Um, but I was through the Eastern League, and I still haven't looked to see if the leagues are disparate enough, like all the double-A leagues where you'd it would make sense to just limit it to the Eastern League. Uh, but Sean has everybody here. So like Chris Bryant, George Springer, Derek Norris, Brad Hopp, Miguel Sano, Trevor Story. These are all guys who have had uh, big-time strikeout rates at AA and still amounted to anything. And then down the list, you still have interesting guys like, like Joey Gallo and Javier Baez uh, and Anthony Gose, Jarrett Parker. Jonathan Villar, uh, but none of these guys, with the exception of like Gallo and uh, I guess Trevor Story and George Springer, have had rates of striking out as high as Cousins and actually done anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, like there's it's a small sample and stuff, but uh, like it is a red flag statistically. You know what it comes from is his off-speed recognition is not. Great. Uh, and he's got a big, aggressive weight transfer and really ends up out on his front foot heavily uh, and early if he's not recognizing off-speed pitches. So the question is going to be, can he make some sort of adjustment, even if it's just in a pitch, like with a pitch recognition type thing? Because I do think he's just strong enough that even if he's already out on his front foot uh, and can just make contact, that he's just strong enough to still do some damage that way. Uh, so the question becomes, can he do that? Uh, and that's a hard thing to answer, and it's just sort of something that we have to wait and see. Redding, in general, over the last several years, has produced – the Darren Ruff hype train, you know, Ruff had 38 homers there in a the season. Tag Bozied had like 20 plus homers there. Jim Murphy, Matt Rosati, like these are guys who have had like 24, 25 plus home run seasons in Reading. And so I, I don't disagree that Cousins is a really interesting prospect. I just wonder why we keep doing this with hitters at Reading. 
a sight unseen uh, and sort of wondering uh, why they're not uh, these uber prospects. Right. It's, you're saying it's uh, it's not unfamiliar territory for you. I, you know, you you mentioned George Springer, mm-hmm. and I'm curious how you would compare the two. It should, you know, it should be noted, obviously, that uh, age relative to level comes into play here, mm-hmm. and that you'd probably favor a player who possesses some athleticism over one who doesn't. Yeah. Um, you know, which is like, for example, when you when you invoke the name. Trevor Story, mm-hmm. uh, you say, well, uh, you know, if you have a, a guy who can play shortstop and has that kind of power, the swing and miss can be pretty substantial. If, in, regardless of that, the player will still be at least average, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that which is, you know, in part is the difficulty with Darren Ruff, uh, who for whatever he possesses in terms of virtues as a hitter, and you know, you know, all things. Told like he still put together a league average line over the course of his career has Darren Ruff. The problem is that he does not have the the defensive flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to think, and I don't know if you would agree that that the same sort of lack of athleticism, which limits him in the, defensively, might play into some of his limitations on the offensive side of the ball as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, well, I'm glad you do because it makes the whole point I'm I'm attempting to, <laughs> to make easier. Uh, I'm curious about um, I'm curious about Cousins as I'm curious about his athleticism because uh, on the one hand I I could see where he would be a lumbering sort. He's six six. He's listed at two thirty five. Although I know that for prospects um, sometimes those um, weight listings tend to be on the low side because these are people who are getting bigger all the time. Uh, but I also see that he steals quite a bit of bases, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, does suggest some sort of agility, uh, especially for his size. So where, where does he lie on that spectrum? And how would you compare the overall profile to George Springer, who was also a 22-year-old at AA? Uh, well, I mean, Springer definitely is one of the more explosive athletes in <laughs> Major League Baseball. Uh, Cousins, like, Cousins is, he's a huge, huge guy, but he's retained a lot of the speed that he had, uh, in high school, which made him a, a Division One football recruit. Uh, I did not think when I first saw Cousins, it was in, uh, the New York Penn League with Williamsport. And I, you know, I put on my report that he was like a, like a fringe average runner right now, but would probably fill out to the point where he, be like a well below average runner, but it just hasn't happened. Now I didn't get any concrete run times down to first on him uh, when I had seen him this year. It's hard to do that with a guy who's putting so many balls in the air or striking out a ton. Like there's just not a lot of balls in play. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I don't know exactly objectively how fast he is, but he looks like uh, at least an average runner still underway. Uh, Springer was just one of the, I think he's still probably like the toolsiest college bat that I've ever seen. When he was at UConn, his swing was a mess, but like you could see how explosive he was. And so I think the fact that Cousins, who was like a two-sport kid from Arizona uh, and a high school draftee, and that Springer was a college draftee who was just sort of a raw Northeastern athlete. You know, like they we're talking about two different backgrounds here. Uh, mm-hmm. so already we're sort of 
at a divergent point where it's hard to compare them anymore. Uh, and then physically, they're just both really, really different. Uh, but, uh, you know, the only thing that, that they share is its power before hit. Uh, and that's it. Even the way they do it is different. Cousins is really, really strong and is about, you know, getting his, uh, his weight forward and into the baseball where a Springer always has always had like a big time backside collapse. That's been more uh, about getting his bat on plane in a way that'll generate power and just using natural crazy bat speed to hit balls out all over the place. Uh, so like they're really, really different. Uh, and I, I wouldn't use Springer's success as any sort of springboard for projecting cousins because they're just very, very different in a lot of different ways. How do you, uh, what's your, what's your guess on cousins projection as a defender? I, I mean, he's been playing mostly right field, I believe. Yeah, I think he stays there and I think he's an average defender and right. Okay. All right. So, cause I know that, I mean, you know, for Springer, it may not be entirely correct to say that he is a center fielder playing in a corner, which, you know, in the last five, seven years or something, that's become a more popular phenomena, or mm-hmm. at least one that uh, dirty web bloggers uh, like myself have noticed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, maybe he's not that, uh, but he is he, – he does play above average corner outfield, mm-hmm. George Springer. And he did play uh, quite a bit of center field, I believe, as a minor leaguer. Yeah, I think uh, whereas, Springer could step in and play center field uh, if he needed to. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, profile he's a little bit. Of course, he doesn't look like him, but it's in terms of body type. But like George, uh, like uh, Jason Hayward in that respect. Yeah, someone you'd you would uh, if you had your druthers as a team, you would deploy him as a corner outfielder, but you mm-hmm. could also have him as a center fielder without much danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're more likely to find someone who can play a better center field than Springer does, even if they can't hit. Than you are to than to find someone who hits enough to move Springer to center field, uh, okay. because you want that some the new guy's bat in an outfield corner. Well, anyways, it certainly drew my attention. It made me curious uh, more than so than I already was. Hey, in terms of uh, in terms of his timetable to get to the major leagues, it, would it be surprising to find Dylan Cousins get some plate appearances with the Phillies because they're not threatening? Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing they're threatening is to get the number one overall pick this year. Uh, I don't. Is he on Philly's forty man? I don't know the answer to that. Okay, well I'm looking right now, but I would say just off of hand, probably not. I think they've got other guys that they're interested in getting a, a look at at the big league level. Uh, right now, even if that includes Rule Five pick Tyler Goodell and Aaron Altair is now coming back from wrist surgery. Uh, yeah, like I don't have. Uh... You're doing some clandestine research yeah, right now. Cousins is not on their 40 man. Okay. So like, I think there are other guys ahead of him, even like Darnell Sweeney, who I think they'd rather take a look at at the big league level this year. Well, Cousins, I think you know you you still want to see how he hits outside of Reading. I think he'd be in line for a promotion to Triple A. Uh, especially if like Nick Williams comes up in September or, or Sweeney or, or, uh, Alfaro, guys like that, um, who aren't all necessarily outfielders exclusively, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't think Cousins is a big leaguer this year. I think they still have other priorities, uh, as far as guys they want to see at the big league level. That would be Lehigh Valley. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Lehigh Valley? Yep. 
You've been to that park before, I'm sure. I worked in that park for five years. Oh, all right. So you've uh, certainly been to it. Is that mm-hmm. nestled in any sort of uh, a mountain vista? No, no it's um, it's in Allentown, close to the uh, the border between Allentown and Catasauqua. It's not necessarily in a, a very nice area there. It's just near the airport. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, cities have uh, sold themselves on less. Let's discuss. Let me ask you about Zach Granite. Zach mm-hmm. Granite. Seton Hall. Okay. Yeah. Right, well, there's a, it's a product of Seton Hall, mm-hmm. according to Eric Longenhagen. And uh, well, surprisingly. You right? What does that tell you? Yeah. What do you think that tells you? Let's see. Seton Hall. Um, just probably, I mean, that's a, that's a small, that's not a big baseball school. Correct. Uh, he has emerged from obscurity. Mm-hmm. My guess is that he is, not, he does not possess a lot of obvious physical tools. Oh, he's I like, like this game you're. I like this game you're playing with me, though. So, is he Catholic? Is that what else he means? <laughs> is that what you're trying to get out of me? Oh boy, yeah, he's probably a good Catholic boy, just like Eddie Griffin yeah. was. Uh, but uh, no, <laughs> uh, like this small Northeast college kid, so probably underscouted. Mm-hmm. Uh, good body, like this is uh, a good baseball body. Is a strong kid with good bat speed. Tracks well, good hand-eye, decent approach. It's a very contact-oriented approach. The bats, the the bat path, and everything like that. It's it's geared for ground balls and line drives. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about his chances to stick in center field, which is where he's played this year. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it does sound like there's a chance to hit. If he remains in center field, it probably is enough. Uh, and, uh, it's just about the defensive profile working out in that sort of way. So I'd lean at this point saying like it's a fourth, fifth outfielder type of prospect. Uh, but, uh, there's a chance because of where he came from that it's just a guy that the industry kind of was light on. And, uh, right. it's not like Seton Hall is being heavily scouted. If anything, I've seen Seton Hall at times when I've been in there to see other guys just because that was the closest place I'd be able to see them. And I think that probably holds true for a lot of other, uh, for a lot of other area guys. Uh, so yeah. Well, I can report this, uh, you know, baseball prospectus, uh, they have a methodology for assessing fielding runs relative to average mm-hmm. at the minor league level. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, in close to a hundred games now, Playing for uh, the Twins AA affiliate in Chattanooga, Zach Granite has produced roughly six runs above average um, while being deployed the majority of the time in center field. Cool. Last year, uh, similar situation, roughly 100 games, mostly center field, 12 runs above average. So I think you have to say that that's promising at sure, least, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> um. Yeah, and also just looking at it, uh, eyeballing it from, from my perspective, um, he does seem he seems to have accumulated quite a bit in the way of stolen bases, uh, which can't, which is you know typically a sign of speed. It's not mm-hmm. always, of course, but typically a sign of speed. Sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, I think yeah, he's a nice little what? What round was he drafted in? Like the Twins have a couple of these guys now at this point, right? Fourteenth round. Yeah, that's a good pick. Round. The fact that's that we're already pick, talking right? about him, the guy you got in the fourteenth round, I means it's probably a good pick. Right. Hey, if if you if you see that if you see Seton Hall or if you see if you see fourteenth round 
Uh, now I don't know. I don't know. Neither of us know. I don't think what his uh, his bonus was. I I could uh, search that um, uh, in clandestine fashion. Now, uh, if you see though that he was signed 14th round, probably did not get a big bonus. Mm. Came out of um, came out of that that region. Are is that a thing where you're likely to give credit to the signing scout? Yeah. You say, oh, that that scout probably knows what's going on. Yeah, either the scout or uh, there are picks, you know, made after that 10th round that are made by the analytics department, too. Your boy Max oh, Schrock was, is one of those where the analytics uh, guys in Washington's front office were pounding the table, apparently very literally, not proverbially. Like there was a literal table and literal <laughs> pounding uh, that they wanted Schrock. And, you know, they were loud enough that they uh, they got him. So it's it's right. yeah I think it's um it's one of those things where you know you want to give credit where credit is due and there I for granted specifically I don't know if it was uh something that the analytics department identified him at Seton Hall as a favorable uh you know draftee or right. if the area guy loved him but uh, someone did something right there. Or confluence, uh, it could be a confluence to two. Sure. The, uh, let's see, just briefly looking at his numbers from Seton Hall. Uh, well, nothing, uh, nothing stands out in particular. He okay. didn't, uh, he, he didn't post particularly, he posted, uh, good strikeout rates, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 10% or less, roughly, roughly about the 10% mark. But, uh, he had zero home runs as a, uh, uh, as a college player, it seems. And uh, decent stolen, 35 stolen bases in a college uh, baseball season is pretty good. Only seven caught stealing. So uh, perhaps something something positive there, I think you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, he's I just think. an interesting little prospect. Yeah, he's an interesting little prospect. Mm-hmm. Who else is on this list? <laughs> hey, you know what's the strange name on this list? Huh. No, the name the name the name is a perfectly reasonable one. It's the uh, it's the identity of the player, and this is a catcher in the Yankee system. Named Kyle, and it, it, I, uh, I've come across him myself uh, uh, as well. Kyle, um, Kyle uh, Higashioka. Higashioka. Yeah, Higashioka. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I apologize even just for having said it. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not. Uh, but I had to in order to continue the conversation. Uh, yes. Tell me anything you know. Anything you know about Kyle Higashioka, who's currently playing? It looks like at the Triple A level, or that would be a uh, be another Pennsylvania-based team. Mm. Uh, no. I believe maybe. Oh yeah, is Scranton he, is he getting Scranton now? I believe he is. Yeah, I believe he plays for them. Uh, I saw him. In have you ever seen? Game. Yeah, I have. Okay. All right. Uh, he he can hit. There's definitely power there. Uh, it's just he, the catching. Catching is not. Good. <laughs> okay. I, I've gotten the the odd uh, above average pop time from him, uh, but it's it's really inconsistent, and just generally his his defensive abilities back there are not good. So uh, you know I've gotten like the Ryan Lavarnway comps to the skill set in general, uh, where it's it's all bad, but there's just nowhere to, to put him. Right. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's sort of – evaluating catcher defense is, is a pretty difficult thing to do. Sounds nightmarish. Well, I was going to ask you, how do you even get an, ass- an assessment? At least for me. Even a – what were you going to say? What were you saying? I was just saying, like, evaluating 
catcher defense based on one look is a difficult thing to do. At least it is for me, especially because when, if you're in my position and you're trying to be as efficient as possible and see everybody you can, even if it means getting a more shallow look at everybody, uh, certainly less in depth than someone who's just assigned to sit on a five or six game homestand of a, of a given minor league club. You know, evaluating catcher defense is hard because you want to see him catch a bunch of different pitchers and hopefully you see him, you run into him catching someone who's got major league stuff and see how that looks and have the opportunity to, to see him throw down to second base several times over the course. Like it's not a guarantee that you're going to see all the elements that you want to when you're evaluating a catcher defensively in one game. So, but just because for my purposes, I want to try to see everybody and get video and, you know, have what we need to have to have good content on the site. It involves me getting like a lot of one off looks at guys, which is an ideal, but it's just the way it is. So it's hard for me to get a good look at a guy, a catcher defensively, because that's just because of my job description. Uh, so what I've seen from Higashioka defensively isn't great, but there have been some flashes of viability there as well. So it's sort of, uh, I'm, I'm, leaning pessimistic uh, on his ability to catch, but there's definitely some power there, and I, I think he's got a chance to hit just about where he fits. What the, what indicators, or for what indicators are you looking to get any sort of sense about a catcher's ability to frame the ball? You know, honestly, I think it's easier to do that from the center field camera than it is to do from behind the plate. Because you're dealing with the That's umpire, you're trying to watch the hitter, like it's, if I'm, if I want to... And look, I think in general the, the the internet's fascination with framing might be a little overwrought at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think uh, I'd be much more inclined to to go back and look at like MILB TV footage of a couple games to see how a guy frames pitches from the center field camera more so than I uh, trust my single game evaluation from behind home plate when you're dealing with the umpire and the hitter and all sorts of other factors. Eric, that's brave of you to say that. That's that's brave fine. to say that. <laughs> Anything? I don't know. Okay. All right. You know, I I don't have a whole lot of uh, perspective anymore because, you know, I'm just like at home all the time now. So like I'm losing <laughs> all sorts of social skills and this just might be another thing where I'm just like, yeah, it's just sort of the way I'm doing it now. Because I'm sort of <laughs> incubating my own idi- idiosyncrasies on my own at home all the time now. They're just sort of yeah. growing. Society now, isn't stamping them down. So I don't know whether or not to be scared to say that or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I think that you, even if uh, they were saying, I think it's Emerson who says um, you should trust yourself than most when the cry of voices rises up against you from the other side. Yeah. I think Emerson says something like well, that. Well, that's empowering. <laughs> yeah, it is briefly, but then you – that's the sort of thing where you, I know when I read it, I feel like I'm – it's like the literary equivalent of the final countdown, you know? <laughs> uh, I get very excited about it. Um, but then uh, immediate, you know, within hours – that sort of bravery dissipates, and uh, I'm immediately just a, a husk of a man, you know, <laughs> cowed, cowed by the world. 
Mm, we was, talk about when I was in Chicago. I was in. Uh, I stayed in Oak Park. I did not want to stay downtown in Chicago. I just wanted some peace and quiet, so I stayed out in Oak Park. It uh, in Ernest Hemingway's uh, birthplace. Yes, and also I believe a uh, home to a number of exemplary designs by Frank Lloyd Wright. Yes, also a reason I like to stay there. I'm a fan of his work. What I am. Have you, <laughs> there was a place we stopped when Jill and I drove out here to Arizona to live. Like we stopped at uh, Falling Water in Pennsylvania and Frank Lloyd, Taliesin West, which was like Frank Lloyd Wright's winter home, was in Scottsdale. And it's, you know, we go, we visit there. And yeah, that's great. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I do. I like think we're stuff. on the same page here. I think we both agree that the work is great. You know, I'm not any mm-hmm. great connoisseur of architecture, but, you know, my, at least my education is, Sufficiently broad that the name frankly right I know it I know it I know the difference between it 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 only occurred it occurred in an embarrassingly late age, but the difference between Frank Lloyd Wright and Andrew Lloyd Webber right one of them one of them wrote musicals <laughs> uh, anyway, and is he a Tory I think he's a Tory uh, <clears throat> oh uh, you we you mentioned an exchange earlier just earlier today this is hot off the electronic presses an exchange between us a player. Oh, I don't know if we can talk about this guy yet. <laughs> uh, is that right? Yeah, I found out some more stuff this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to know some things now that I'm kind of supposed to wait on. Oh, that's very exciting. Well, we yeah. won't, uh, we won't omit anything. What's the most you could say about him or, or about the situation? There's a pl- how vague, how unvague can you be? There's a player that the industry has missed on. Uh, that was, uh, and now he's getting a considerable amount of money. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, I won't, I won't press the issue with you. I mean, it depends on when you put the podcast up and whether or not it's going to matter. Like, do you know when you're going to put, put this thing up? Well, I can tell you when I was planning on telling you I was going to put it up and then when I actually put it up. Okay. I'd probably be like at the end of this conversation, I'd be like, "All right, I'll get this up for tomorrow." But in reality, it'd probably be Monday morning. Yeah, there's just like there is. No, a, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> you have information. You, you get this, you know, an information. Yeah. Is, uh, it's, it's currency. And it's just, it's not like I'm sitting on things to do anybody a favor. I just think it's the right thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because things have sort of gone like the kid was draft eligible, didn't get drafted, but nobody knew he was draft eligible because of a clerical error. And now he's gone and played ball this summer and teams are on him and he's eligible to sign. And so he's going to, but he needs, but because he's been sort of away from his school and his coaching staff, he hasn't been able to get with them and tell them, Hey, I'm not going to be back at school next year. And so I just think it's it's better for that to happen before I start blowing up that the kids going to sign with the team. Sure. Here's a question though, and uh, this doesn't necessarily have to be about him, but it could be questions like this. The the situation you're describing is, I don't know, it uh, is I guess it's a comical one to some degree. Yeah, the people uh, I've talked to about this say that this has never happened before. At least as, the, as far as they can remember, not to an extreme like this. Like this kid's really good. Right. And I know that – so an idiot like me, right, who is uh, who merely dips his toes into the waters of college baseball, for example, especially during that that interval 
between when the college season begins and you know spring training and the regular season begins for the for uh, professional game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, around that time, I remember watching last year, for example, Andrew Benatendi, who was a sophomore at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But if you, unless you were particularly familiar with the situation, you wouldn't necessarily know that he was a draft eligible sophomore. You know, maybe you watch a broadcast and they mention it, but they also might not. They might just say, here's sophomore outfielder Andrew Benintendi. Right. If he's not a redshirt sophomore, then basically teams have to do the math and decide if he's old enough to be draft eligible as a sophomore. Right. So <clears throat> here's a question. Did this player... Yeah. No. Did he know that he was draft eligible? It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I haven't spoken to the kid. Yeah. Because that's just not a thing I do. Right. But uh, you barely. I mean, what you you barely talk to your own spouse. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. so like I don't um. I don't know if he knew or not, but it sounds like there's a chance that he did not. Right. Yeah, that's uh it's clear that the entire baseball industry did not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh so uh but yeah, it's an interesting situation. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting situation. Well, uh the next time we speak hopefully there will be a resolution uh oh, and yeah, one that benefits I'd say like in the next 4 days. Like I'm writing about it, so there will be something up on the site uh in short order. It's just right. I'm waiting for the right time for that story to go live. I think other people have it and are probably waiting for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, like it's just the thing that you don't want to, anyone to, to be affronted by. It's just a weird thing. It's really weird. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just, this is sort of unprecedented. And, uh, I, you know, I think all parties involved deserve the respect to handle things, uh, in a I way that Eric, it sounds like you're handling it responsibly. You're handling it responsibly. I hope so. You know, I, what we're going to do, I think, is, uh, before the next time you get on the program, we're going to get you a Yeti Blue or a Blue Yeti microphone. Okay. How does that sound? It sounds like the audio quality of this podcast is not. No, it's fine. It's fine. It just, it's the, uh, my, your voice and my voice, your voice is not naturally. Good. <laughs> no, 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 my, my voice, no, no, my voice is not naturally any more pleasing than yours at okay. all. No, no chance. And yet, I benefit from a microphone that catches the um, and emphasizes even perhaps the baritone notes of which I'm capable of reaching. You know. Okay. And uh, you, whatever your audio setup, it doesn't have the same benefit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just put us on even, even footing. That's all we to, want, right? Do you want me to like use a different voice while we're on? Doing podcast? Do you have a broadcast voice? Do you have a broadcast voice? I think I can have like a like one of those stereotypical like the characters that Hank Azaria does. What about like a yeah? Is that like a a Tom Brokaw? Oh, Brokaw! I don't know if you get down Mm -hmm. low enough to do Brokaw. But yeah, just what's your Hank Azaria? Well, well, you just the yeah, you know, we're broadcasting live here from the thing of Carson's stool, and. I'm Eric. Right, 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 right. Like, like the, like, like you're about to see footage of the Hindenburg or mm-hmm. something. Like the Johnny Carson sort yeah. of, uh, well, some weird wild stuff here and we're, uh, weird wild stuff going on with this random college prospect who nobody knew was draft eligible, but kind of has like a second round grade on him. And, 
uh, yeah, but uh, I would listen. I would listen to that. Do that. I, would, I also, you know, that I enjoy your. My, I enjoy your. Well, because all your Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Well, person. I mean, all yeah. of our the voices. You know, I just do them because mine is so repugnant on its own. <laughs> so I would. I would say repugnant. I'd say shrill. That's right. I was going to go yeah. with, with shrill. <laughs> Kylie would say that I sound like uh, Millhouse's dad. <laughs> okay. Not, not that Kylie's. It's not like he's working with with a real talent over there, though. Uh, it's, Vocally, I guess so. Yeah, I have a shrill voice. I was up to like three, two last night, so it's not good right now. I think you're a beautiful, man. Though, thank you. I, I enjoy I enjoy speaking with you. I, I I still want to. You know, I was looking. Uh, looks like Kyle Lewis is injured, huh? Yeah, it's bad. Towards towards ACL. ACL. Yeah, it sucks. He, Kyle Luce notable because he was uh, selected pretty early in the draft, despite the fact that he was at a uh, small school, mm-hmm. small su- southern uh, southern university. Sorry. Mercer, Mercer in the southern sorry in the so southern cool. conference. Yeah, yeah. Blue Yeti. You know what's interesting is uh, there was the player who had played for Georgia Southern, maybe drafted by the Brewers uh, four or five years ago, and also hurt himself like immediately. After uh, after getting drafted, Victor Roach. Yeah, right. Where did he go? You think? You think he went to Georgia Southern? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is he still striking out a ton? I assume so. Yeah, might be. He. Uh, let's see. Did he, it was it was Georgia Southern. He was drafted in the first round. It's probably what like high A now, double A, probably something like that. Double A, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it actually doesn't look. I mean, it doesn't look terrible. Okay, twenty five striking out twenty five percent of the time. Not not ideal for the amount of power he's currently exhibiting in games, especially a twenty four year old. He had. I didn't. He didn't. He lead the nation in home runs during his draft year. I don't recall. Like might have. I know he had like twenty two bombs, uh, like back in twenty thirteen or something like that. He's like twenty twenty five homers. Right, uh, right. Like 2013 and 2014, but once he's hit double A now, and I just think he's just striking out like crazy and can't get to the power anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, I think uh, I think you fulfilled your obligation here, Eric. Oh, really? That seems faster than it was. Well, it was over an hour, Eric. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. Like I said, you know, I mean, you just lose concept of time <laughs> being home all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have a? You know, I I have developed a a practice, Eric. While I will go to the cafe, you know, for a couple hours every day. Oh, really? Every day? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Every day. Actually, I didn't go today because uh, I walked there, and it was um, it was so hot and humid that it would would have been unpleasant. I mean, I've been doing it even during some of these hot and humid days, but I show up as a very sweaty man in this <laughs> cafe, and uh, I feel like. Maybe it's not good for business for them, you know? Well, no, but you're there. It's like, Do you buy stuff while you're there or do you just go I, there and sort of uh, hang out? I think maybe sometimes – Are you just familiar with addition by subtraction? Yeah. Uh, I think when I'm not there, there might be some of that. I mean, he's away, but there's so therefore other people will will visit the cafe because there's not just like a sweat a, a sweaty person – there. What is it like there that it's so bad? I mean, it seems like it's hot around the entire country right now. Yeah, it happens, so. though. 
But yeah, I can't control it. Yeah. I can't. I cannot get neither control nor explain it. It probably has to do with the jet stream. Usually does. Yeah, fall league schedule. I just got a hold of this week, and I also saw their forecasts. That it's going to be unseasonably warm for like three extra months. <laughs> this this year. In Arizona. Yeah. No, like nationwide. Oh. Oh. Well, that's too bad. You know, I, I uh, now have has has the affect in my voice changed since you've noted how horrendous it is. No. Okay. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. I and I. By the way, what I'm saying is that I don't think my voice is any better. I do. Yeah. Well, that's how stop people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to uh, come out and see you during the this next fall league. Yeah, do it. You can come hang with us if you want. We have the space. I have such a great time. We can get some sangria, right? Yep, we can do sangria at uh, Barrio Queen again. Like that. We can. Like uh, like there are a lot of good places to eat here. It's pretty underrated. There's not like fine dining or anything, but like you can go get good food in a lot of places. I don't see why people yeah. don't get it. But yeah, it's fine. Jill yeah. and I will take you out. Love it. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed being with both you guys. Now, of course, she'll be teaching at that point. Her mm-hmm. life kind of changes. Okay. Yeah. Um, this could be reserved for off mic, but mm-hmm. oh, it's been fine anyway. Uh, but so, yeah, you have fulfilled your obligation. I said that. Did I say mm-hmm. thank you? I, I, I think mean you to say have. thank you. Well, I should have said uh, you're welcome. Okay, that has been Eric Longenagen, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.